Today, the Her Story on the Rocks community is mourning the loss of the amazing Madeleine Albright, the U.S.'s first female Secretary of State. As we normally do with a loss of this magnitude, we're reposting the episode that we did about her life. This episode was originally from last spring and featured Madeline and Eartha Kitt. It has been cut down to just be Madeline Albright's story. If you want to listen to the whole thing in its entirety, it's episode 120, and you can find it on our website, herstoryontherocks.com. We wish comfort upon Madeline's close friends and family in this time of mourning. And as always, may her memory be a blessing. about madam secretary the first okay i'm glad you said secretary because i was like i'm pretty sure she's the first secretary of the, fe- the first female secretary of state for the yeah, united states not the first that was <laughs> thomas jefferson but good try <laughs> um so i know yeah that she's that um i know that she appears in two episodes of gilmore girl wait yeah mm-hmm. one episode one. One episode of Gilmore Girls. Mentioned in all of them. Mentioned in all of them. <laughs> um, and I believe an episode of 30 Rock? Other one. No. Amy Poehler. Dang it! <laughs> yes! It's, <laughs> it is. It's Parks and Rec. Uh-huh. I love that one. She's just like spilling her guts and like eating her breakfast. It's so perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know that she's like this really important person that I just feel like i know nothing about it's just like she's iconic right you know which i sometimes feel like it's almost a detriment because then we don't actually inquire like who is that person yeah you learn (laughs) one or two things about them and then you're just like well okay yeah exactly (laughs) good to know rory gilmore likes her so i guess i should too (laughs) i mean she seems up there yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so let me tell you this story i was excited to research it i was like i thought it was going to be daunting it wasn't daunting Mm -hmm. it was like things were very succinct i mean she's written a million books about herself so (laughs) it's really helpful So, Madeline Albright was born Marie Jana Korbel on Mar- May 15th, 1937 in Prague, Czechoslovakia, which is present-day the Czech Republic. She was the daughter of a Czech diplomat. Now, Madeline's legal name is Marie Jana to this day. She really? has not legally changed her name, but when she started taking French lessons, she liked the French name for Marie and started going by Madeline, and that's what she's gone by ever since. So she is a Madeline. Madeline. <laughs> Madeline Albright. I'm going to do it the whole so time. So she is a French orphan. <laughs> <laughs> she's a French not orphan. Uh, but like her parents are very important. Stop French. that. <laughs> she's in and she's not French. <laughs> Madeline, not Madeline. <laughs> Her dad was Joseph and her mom was Anna and Madeline never, or I just, (laughs) done. Okay. Her dad was Joseph and her mom was Anna and Madeline had two younger siblings, a sister and a brother. At the time of her birth, Czechoslovakia had only been independent from Austria-Hungary for 20 years at the end of World War I. And her father was a diplomat that supported democracy in Czechoslovakia. But 
Then the Nazis occupy Czechoslovakia in 1938 when she's like really young. Like yeah. she, she was born in 37, so she's two years old. And her family flees to England. So Madeline's parents sent her to live with her grandparents like out in the rural country of Czechoslovakia for a while while they were figuring out a way to get out of there. Mm-hmm. She believed at the time and for most of her life that it was her dad's political position that made them have to get out of there. We'll talk about why she was wrong later. Oh, okay. Her father worked for the Czech government and he kind of just goes into political exile. And her mom went on record as saying like with all of the possible and impossible planning that we did as soon as the Nazis came in, some good friends, lots of luck, and a little bit of bribes, this plan worked. Like, that's how we got out of there. So, like, don't throw shade on people who, like, didn't get out or didn't get out in time. Yeah. Like, it took so much with a high-powered father. Yeah. So they ended up escaping only 10 days after the Nazis took <gasps> over. Oh, my gosh. While she was in England as a little child, she appeared in a film about refugees and the struggle of war. Wow. And she was given a stuffed animal as payment. There we go. To be in this film. <laughs> and they started her career. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if she kept that up. Like, I only get paid in stuffed animals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where's my daughter? She'd love I that. know. I was going to say, <laughs> Eliza's room is known on Rolling Road because it is her windows are filled with stuffed animals. I mean, I pull into my driveway and it's just unicorn butts <laughs> all over because the, the horns are facing outward dangerously. So, um, her family at first lived in, on Kensington Park Road and endured the worst of the Blitz, like oh. in London. And later they moved to the outskirts. The family did attempt to return to Czechoslovakia after World War II. They were given this luxurious apartment, which ends up being pretty controversial because after the war, even like Czech-born people of German ancestry were kicked out of the country and they got one of those apartments. So it's seen as like, it's what people do. They like judge based on ethnicity, but it wasn't like her family's choice. They were just in this apartment. Right. But they weren't there for long. <laughs> the return was very, very brief. Her father was made the Czechoslovakian ambassador to Yugoslavia, two countries that don't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Living in Yugoslavia, her dad was really worried that his children would be exposed to Marxism. So he went and worked there, but they were taught by governesses instead of going to school. Mm-hmm. This is when Madeline goes to Switzerland, learns French and changes her name. Okay. But then also like Czechoslovakia becomes a communist party country as well. And we've got, you know, they split into Slovakia and the Czech Republic. So again, they end up refugees for the second time in their life. On November 11th, 1948, when Madeline was 11 years old, they go and wait for their father in London, or they go and wait for their father in the U.S. because he's going to drop some important papers off in London and then meet them there. So they go to Long Island and they put in all the paperwork for political asylum, claiming that their family was under danger in Czechoslovakia because of their father's previous connection to the democracy there. Her dad got a teaching position at the University of Denver, and the family settled in Colorado. There we go. And this is (laughs) our entrance 
to the United States. <laughs> Madeline spent her teen years in Denver and graduated from Kent High School, which is in the suburbs around the city. She attended Kent High School and founded the school's International Relations Club. Oh, so good for what her. A, again, what a Leslie Nope. Oh, I my know. gosh. Seriously, that's why she's her hero. I, I, yeah. mean, I think the Leslie Nope character has to be based it has to be. solely on her. <laughs> She wasn't the only uh, Secretary of State, though, that would benefit from her father's wisdom. Her dad, actually teaching at this university, years and years later, taught Condoleezza Rice. What? <laughs> so two of the Connie? three, two of the three female Secretaries of State, were directly in like relation with this man. Oh my gosh, I do love that. <laughs> I mentioned 30 Rock earlier, and I just watched the episode where, like, Jack Donaghy's, like, dating Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> yeah. And she keeps coming on the news, and he's like, did you see that? <laughs> she's totally thinking about me. And Lizzo was like, no, she's not. Stop it. You're so weird. <laughs> so... In any case, her dad is kind of a big deal. He later became the dean of the international relations of the school, and that building's now named after him. So, oh my gosh, okay. what up, my major? <laughs> get it, get it. My other major. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline would go on to attend Wesley College in oh. Boston, which is also okay. a big deal on a full scholarship. <laughs> She majored in political science. She joined the College Democrats of America. <laughs> she became a U.S. citizen while going to college, and her senior thesis was on a previous prime minister from Czechoslovakia. There we go. So, I mean, she is just putting herself right into place. While she's going to college, she gets an internship at the Denver Post. And this is where she meets her future husband during a summer internship. His name was Joseph Albright. He was the son of the owner of Newsday, which was a big newspaper, and the family philanthropists. She's about to marry into some serious fucking money. Get that cash flow. Get it. Get it. She graduated with honors from Wesley College in 1959, and she said in one of her books that it was tradition for Wesley women to get married on their graduation day. Oh, <laughs> what? She, she would never be so bold. She waited and got married three days later. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait. I'm sorry. You said it's a Wesleyan tradition? Yeah. like the, from the school? Yeah. Like, the women... She said even in her time going there, the women were there primarily to get married. Right. And like we talked about in the Julia Child yes, episode. And like you the would MRS get engaged degree. and then the moment you graduated, you would get married. So three days after <laughs> she graduated from college. You know what? I appreciate that because I feel like she's like making a point that she's like, I didn't go to college to get married. I just so happened yeah. to like be getting married when I graduate. Like but she also um, doesn't really like this husband anymore. So I think oh, she, no. she talks about this very openly and honestly in a lot of her autobiographies, which she says was hard for her because, you know, as a politician, you're taught to be right. Keep your scandals in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, she does, she talks about it a lot. So for the marriage, she converted from Catholicism to an evangelical so that they could get married. So not that big of a change. <laughs> the Albright crew, 
um, moved a lot for her husband's job. They lived in Missouri. They lived in Chicago. They lived in Long Island. They lived in Georgetown. In Missouri, her husband completed his military service, and she worked for the, like, Daily News there. In Chicago, he worked for the Chicago Sun-Times, and she worked for Encyclopedia Britannica. In New York, her husband began to work for his mother's newspaper, Newsday, which is, like, the he is the Huntsburgers. Okay. Like, he is that money where it's like, my parents own this, and one day I have to own it, and I'm going to be a douchebag because of it. <laughs> How many Gilmore Girls references can we get in this episode? Enough. <laughs> Enough, I think. <laughs> that was the year um, when they're in New York that Madeline gave birth to her twins, Alice and Anne. They were six weeks premature and had a really long stay in the hospital. So to distract herself from this sadness in her life and just being so upset about her two little babies, she started her post-grad studies. The family then moved to D.C. where Madeline continued her Russian lessons because that's what she was doing like Mm post-grad. She's studying now in D.C., Russian and international relations at a division of Johns Hopkins University. Wow. So okay. she's like a baller. Wow. When they go back to Long Island, um, because her husband's aunt died and he has to take over a portion of the business and be a man, she continued to study, but this time at Columbia University. She ends up receiving her master's from Columbia in 1968 and worked as a fundraiser for a senator in his, like, president, like presidential campaign. And then also gives birth to her third daughter, Catherine, at the time. So now she's got three girls. Oh, my gosh. She took another 10 years to get her Ph.D. from Columbia and is, like, working for Jimmy Carter's national security advisor. Not for Jimmy Carter, but for his national security advisor. She, like, has a little office, not to herself, but in the West Wing where she's doing research assignments. And one thing I really appreciate is that in a lot of interviews, she's like, it took me a really long time to get my Ph.D. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times for mothers, it takes a longer time to finish your PhD and for women in general, I think Mm -hmm. just like you're expected to, you can't just like quit everything and be like, I'm going to spend three years and get this degree. It's like, I'm doing it part time while I'm doing all the other things that I'm supposed to juggle. Right. So that was what she was doing, trying to be a wife. And she was very dedicated to marriage. Mm -hmm. She loved it. She was a fully married person. She was very dedicated to her three daughters, little baby girls. So school and work are important to her, but that's why it took her so long. Right. And she explains that very openly so that people understand that that's what it takes to be a woman with that much power. Right. And also to be like, if it takes you a long time, like I get it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and like, don't feel bad about that because, you know, I feel like sometimes people get like, well, yeah, I have my PhD, but it took me 10 years. And it's like, okay, you still fucking got it. Like that's insane. This time in her life just smacked her in the fucking face. No. Madeline had believed that she was happily married. But in 1982, after 22 years of marriage, her husband left her for another woman. What? 
until he left her, she had thought that she was happily married with a perfect life. I have two homes. I have three daughters. I have a rich husband. He's being groomed to take over his family's <sighs> enterprise. And this tragedy is what she believes drove her to the White House. She was nothing but an obscure adjunct professor who sometimes worked on campaigns and she's like I was crushed and I had to put myself back together because within a dozen years of her divorce she would become the most powerful female official in American history to date to that I, date. we're going to talk more about this guy you want to hear some more <laughs> yes I do I okay. do because he sounds like a fucking prick yeah so they had been married uh 22 she was barely 22 when she got married okay they'd been married 22 years which means half of her life was spent with this man. She was 44. Um, she said that of her old relationship that the rage has now died down, but the hurt is still there. Her husband had initially tried to keep the new and old relationship, like her and his mistress at the same time, but they knew about each other and he would tell Madeline on a daily basis how much he loved her in comparison to that woman. Like you're a 70% today and she's a 30%. That's sick. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. And he openly said to her, right. But like, I deserve it because she's much prettier than and younger than you. Oh my God. I hate him. I know. And it's like, he's about to take over this newspaper thing. So he thinks he deserves it, but fuck you, dude. Okay. Also now I'm like really mad because I hate that now we know her as his name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hate that Albright has lived in it, you know, pop culture forever and like importance forever when he was a dick like i hate that he's terrible okay now a lot of married women keep their last name so that they share a name with their children Mm -hmm. um but he should have had to change his name because he's a dick (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing i'm not against women changing their names but like in this situation it It bums me out because she is like such an important like revered figure yeah and that bums me out because it's not like, oh, yeah, like, it became my name and I loved it. It's right. like, <laughs> she, like, like she said, she's like, she's still hurt by it. Yeah. She's still hurt by this guy that, like, she now carries his name. Yeah, she never remarries. Oh, my God. Never. Um, and she just said I was a very married person. So when I divorced, I had time to fill. <laughs> so... <laughs> She starts being a professor of international affairs at Georgetown University, and that's for over 10 years. She specializes in Eastern Europe, obviously, because that's Mm -hmm. her thing. She directed the university's program on women in global politics, and she starts to work her way into these political meetings because she's teaching on the East Coast where all the politics are happening. Mm-hmm. At first, it's weird. She was like, I would have these great thoughts in meetings, and I would say in my head, no, that's stupid. Don't say it. And then two minutes later, a guy in the room would say it, oh and my she God. would be like, he would get all this praise, like, oh, my God, that's so great. Wow. And she's like, man, fuck me. Like, why didn't I say that? In her words, fuck me. <laughs> I quote Madeline Albright, (laughs) fuck me. (laughs) Yeah, she never said that. This is me paraphrasing an interview I listened to. (laughs) Um, 
She says I was often either one of or the only woman in the room for the majority of the beginning of my career. So it was really intimidating, and I just had to learn to be powerful. So she works as a foreign policy advisor to all of these candidates. And by the time Bill Clinton is elected, Madeline's political career begins to hit its stride. So he nominates her as ambassador to the United Nations in 1993. And at the United Nations, she gains a rep for her tough-mindedness, and she is a fierce advocate for American interests. Um, She is real into using the military to fix problems okay because she was a refugee from two countries as a child Mm -hmm. so it's like where were the people helping and she even said it she i was listening to a stage interview and she was like for me growing up in these bad situations it just seemed like every time the american military showed up things got better yeah and that she feels the same about the un and she's just like can somebody just come fix this shit? So that's like kind of her mindset. And okay. she's not into like full force, let's kill everybody, let's have right. wars. <laughs> she just is like, I think sometimes we pump the brakes on intervention because we're scared what's going to happen if we help or how much money it's going to cost. And right. like, we just need to help. Or like, do they want our help? Right. Like, you know, yeah, that's there, also a situation. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of questions you have to ask, yeah. which is like why people like her spend their entire lives studying this. And yeah. I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. She says in the UN, I found out quickly how to speak my mind because if I didn't speak up and just call out, then I wouldn't get a turn to talk and the U.S.'s voice would go unheard. So I needed to speak up. I can't even imagine the pressure of speaking for an entire country. Like absurd. I (laughs) like whenever I like, you know, because I was an international studies major. So I did like, you know, a lot of like. You're like, okay, you're this country, so, like, how do you deal with this? And it was always like, what if this were fucking real? Like, what if (laughs) I was speaking for climate change on behalf of the, you know, Caribbean islands? Like, because I did that one time, and it was like, this is stressful. Because, like, here in this classroom setting, it's like, yes, people are listening to me, and they understand the economic impacts and the devastation that, like, climate change is causing me, you know? But really... Who the fuck is listening on the world stage to the Caribbean islands? Fucking nobody. And it's get, I, yeah, it gets like really depressing when like you are like, it works so well in role play. And then you're like, but then people have to do this in real life. Yeah. And in real life, no, everybody only cares about themselves. Absolutely. (laughs) And that's it. Yeah. (laughs) So honestly, and I just want to point this out. (laughs) Say what you want about Bill Clinton. And I could say a lot. (laughs) But he has an eye for strong women. Yeah. Not only did he marry Hillary Rodham, but he nominated RBG to the Supreme Court and Madeleine Albright to yeah. be Secretary of State. So, and as we say in our Monica Lewinsky episode, like, she's a powerful woman. She's just been silenced by bullshit. Right. You know, like, um, he really, like, <laughs> as fucked up as he is. I know. He just has an eye for really strong women. He yeah. gets it. He can see it. <laughs> Like, he can see he just can't be it. <laughs> he's like, I see you, girl. <laughs> now get over here so I can fuck yeah. you. <laughs> God, he's <laughs> terrible. Out of the worst. Terrible guy. Oh, man. Oh. It's all that smooth jazz. Well, what, about that? <laughs> I was gonna say, what about that saxophone? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I wanted to point that out because he's like in cahoots with a lot of really powerful women, and that's just <laughs> funny. Okay. In the UN, she had a rocky relationship with the Secretary General, the main problem being that Madeleine Albright is always trying to start wars. But <laughs> <laughs> she, like, the problem is the UN doesn't have the power of law. They can suggest, and they have peacekeepers, but as soon as the UN starts attacking people, then it's like, well, now you're a country, and yeah. now you're like a law enforcement for the world, and the UN isn't supposed to be that. Yeah. So the Secretary General has to be really careful, and they're like, Madeline, stop it! <laughs> Bad. Chill out! Yeah, but she did actually regret that she didn't push more to help with the genocide in Rwanda. Yeah. She was like, hindsight was 2020. I kept calling it like sporadic murders and didn't call it what it was. Yeah. It was genocide. My fucking bad. So she calls herself out on that one. Well, there we go. Yeah. At one point, even there's Cuban military pilots that are shot down over like the Cuban American airspace. And she goes out and makes an announcement over international waters. That is not courage. That is cowardice. And that's where the name of our cocktail comes from. Because Bill Clinton said that this is probably the most effective one-liner of foreign affairs <laughs> in his whole administration. <laughs> yes. But December 5th, 1996... On the eve of the day I was going to meet producer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Imagine. <laughs> Allie. <laughs> Teal socks. <laughs> A twister board. Listen, this <laughs> podcast wouldn't happen. Sweat pants. <laughs> bangs. The bangs. Sweaty bangs. Greasy. You're playing twister. Oh. I'm also just referencing one very specific <laughs> one photo. photo of you and Jake yeah. in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'll say we'll post it, but I have no idea where that is. I have it. I have it. I'll post it on Patreon yeah, only. On Patreon. <laughs> okay. So... President Clinton on this day nominates her to be the 64th Secretary of State. The Clinton group was split. Half of the group was like, yes, Madeline, do it. The other half was like, anyone but Madeline because <laughs> she's a woman and also nominate this guy. Because, you know, I this- own a favor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This would be the first woman to hold this position and it would be the highest ranking female in all of u.s history so far like it's a very and you know what that's a slippery slope (laughs) to go down it is like (laughs) they're very worried (laughs) if a woman can be the secretary of state what else can she be what else can she be everything i think this is really upsetting (laughs) just what about this white guy though (laughs) (laughs) you know what what we've got going is working let's just the status quo is the status quo for a reason, everybody. Let's not be unreasonable. Do you see him? He's partially balding. <laughs> He's white. He's over 65. And we love him. He'll be great. He's got a suit. An American flag skin. You know, he's got two suits. Two suits. Two suits. How many ties? A lot. <laughs> 20 plus. All red and blue, though. Because he's a daddy. Okay. You know what daddies get? Ties. Ties. You're right. Sorry, this <laughs> weird rant I went on. He's got this, uh, <laughs> he's got the one that plays music on Christmas. Oh when... my gosh. But you don't wear that to no, like, no, 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 a professional no. setting. That's for the grandkids only. That's 
for the grandkids. Which he has 17 of because he's 65. Because he's <laughs> a, not just a daddy, a granddaddy. <laughs> oh, this is getting All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what happens when I'm already two cocktails in the first half of the episode. We'll be all right. Bad. I think we'll be all right. Okay. The Secretary of State is one of the first cabinet members that the president selects, so it's not an elected position, and they're the head of foreign affairs and the foreign affair advisor. At the time, like I said, Madeline, first female to do this, they are fifth in succession to the presidency, so it's vice president, Speaker of the House, the head of the Senate, and then the Secretary of State. However, because Madeline was not born in the United States, she would have been skipped in the secession to the presidency. Okay. If we would ever get that if far. We would we, we've only ever gone three deep. <laughs> what? Three deep? Well, when, when Richard Nixon resigned... Ford took over. Right? Yeah, but but his vice president had already resigned, so Ford took over as vice president. So Gerald Ford is the only president who was never elected. Hold on. Who was Nixon's vice president? Spiro Agnew. Wow. Did you see that? I, wow. I didn't pause the podcast, Allie? <laughs> that was really impressive. Also, now I feel like I get all the references that I've ever heard to mm. Spiro Agnew. Yeah. Okay. So, so he, he was, resigned and then Nixon He was resigned. the Speaker of the House? No. Spiro, yeah, Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford was the Speaker of the House. Yeah. So, so he wasn't elected by the general public and he's the first president <gasps> to ever and the only president what? to ever not be elected by the general public. Because Spiro Agnew stepped down he became vice president and then Nixon and then he took over. Wow. I Crazy, could never right? pass a citizen test. <laughs> <laughs> I might be able For to. For real. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a horror. Do I live here? I don't know. <laughs> Most of us don't. Okay, so. very interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So anyway, she would have been sad passed over. history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a historian. I'm drunk. <laughs> uh, so at this point, between Thomas Jefferson, who was the first, and Anthony Blinken, who is the current, <laughs> we have had 71 Secretary of States, and three of them have been women. <laughs> Madeline Albright, Condoleezza Rice, and Hillary Clinton. So most of my life, honestly, (laughs) which is great. Um, And she says of Bill Clinton, he gave me the opportunity that no other individual, male or female, has had to serve two full terms, one as U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and one as the U.S. secretary of state. Pretty cool. Pretty impressive. Around this time, she's intervening to stop wars. She wants the U.N. to help. She's like, hey, guys. Wars destroyed my childhood. Let's keep going. But then they have to, like, vet her after. But she was unanimously agreed upon to be Secretary of State. Both parties. This is only, like, 20 years ago. We used to love each other, guys. (laughs) What's happening? Um, This is what she thought. She thought they left Czechoslovakia because her dad was into democracy and that they were going to go after them. But when everybody looked into her family, they found out that she was born Jewish (gasps) and her family was Jewish and that three of her grandparents were killed in concentration camps. She didn't know? Nobody ever told any of the siblings. This is 1997. She's becoming the Secretary of State and she found out that not only three of her grandparents, but 25 of her family members were murdered in concentration camps after the Nazis took over Czechoslovakia. 
They left after 10 days. They were months away from being murdered. Oh, my God. Months. The family. Dead. All of them. That's, that's crazy. Wow. Right? I, the chills. I don't even understand <sighs> that. To be so far in your career that you're the fifth highest person in America and you didn't know that your entire family was murdered during World War II. I, that's insane. She said I was raised Catholic and then converted to evangelical. I had no idea. No one told me. They said, your dad's a diplomat. You have to get out. It was nothing about being Jewish. Oh my gosh. Well, cause I'm like, the shitty thing is like, I wonder if part of their parents' belief was like, what if this just keeps going? And like, if they don't know, then like, if the Nazis win or whatever, and like this horrible anti-Semitism, I mean, obviously it's still fucking rampant. Right. Like, but you know, maybe they'll be safe if they just don't know. Yeah. Which is so sad because then they're losing out on this incredible cultural heritage. Like, yeah. And I just think, I mean, the reason they got out of there so fast is because her dad was a diplomat. So I think like he knew what was coming down the pike and so many families didn't know how bad it was going to be. So that's why they, like, hid them away at their grandparents and, like, went through Mm. all these measures to get out of the country. And she's like, now I'm connecting all the dots. And I'm like, oh, my. Like, we were very close to dying. Oh, my God. So Mm. there you go with that. Wow. (laughs) And just, like, what, like, a privilege also to be, like, and, like, I'm sure it makes her think, like, I only got out because he was a diplomat. Yeah. And because, like, we had connections. Like, so many people didn't. Yeah. It's so crazy. Mm. So during her tenure as Secretary of State, Albright remained a prominent military intervention, forceful campaigns, democracy, human rights. Woo woo. She was really into NATO and she was like, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but the in the early 90s, the genocide happening in Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Serbia was just horrendous. And she's like, they're calling it Madeline's War because mm-hmm. she's like, we're going to go in and bomb them. And we're going to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And like, Colin Powell's like all against it. And she said, what is the point of you saving this superb military, Colin, if we can't use it? <laughs> it's one of her quotes. She's like, stop. These people are killing everyone. Yeah. Stop them. Um, she did get criticized a little bit, though, for the way that she talked about the Serbs, which is hard because everybody in that region is, like, ethnic groups. It's, like, the Serbs and the Turks and the Croats and, like, all of that. And it's just – I she was so young when she left there. I don't yeah. think she harbored any ethnic hate towards people, but she did harbor hate towards people who are, like, committing ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Like, she just doesn't like it. So she – worked with the sovereignty of Hong Kong and with the ambassador of Kenya and with pre 9-11 Middle East intervention. She was at the time that she was in office, the highest ranking official to ever visit North Korea and talk about the nuclear program. Um, But during this time, her jewelry becomes very interesting to the general public. 
And she starts famously wearing brooches and pins that express her thoughts. <gasps> After the Iraq media referred to her as a serpent, she famously wore a snake pin for their next meeting. <laughs> I mean, she's like definitely a Slytherin. Oh, my gosh. She had a lot of wild jewelry that quickly became trademark like snakes and spiders and like other big animals her favorite though is a heart that her youngest daughter made but in 2009 they did an exhibition of her jewelry in really? the museum of art and design in manhattan okay so this is yeah. really cool because i feel like women in power are criticized and like you know so often for their clothing choices and their jewelry choice choices and a lot of times it's like i didn't even think about this and now yeah. you're like getting mad at me for it and she's like no, I'm going to make, like, if you're going to pay this much attention to it, like, you know, what I'm wearing, I'm going to make a statement with mm -hmm. it. It's the Mockingjay pin. Absolutely. For sure. And, you know, it, it's a really cool exhibition. If you look up pictures of it, they, like, took her, like, spider brooches and they have them dangling from, like, <laughs> strings and stuff. I'm like, ew. That's so cool. But there's even a, a coffee table book called Read My Pins. <laughs> <laughs> That you can get about her jewelry if you want it. After her work in the Clinton administration, people thought that she would take a place in Czech politics. They were like, you know, go and work there. Even the president of the country was like, I feel like you'd be a great successor to me. Like, come be yeah. the president of the oh Czech my Republic. God. And she's like, that's flattering, but no thanks. <laughs> Albright's tenure ended when Bill Clinton left office in 2001, and she founded the Albright Group, a consulting firm. She's working with the New York Stock Exchange. She's on every board of directors, every foundation, council, club, task force. She's on it. Albright was, of course, for many years friends with Hillary Clinton, and she later supported Hillary's presidential bids in 2008 and 2016. She drew criticism, though, when she said there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women, which is a super famous quote of hers <laughs> that I love. And people were like, gender is not the only consideration when you're choosing a candidate, but which is true. But she, like, was like, okay, I get it. Wrong place, wrong time. I wasn't criticizing the Bernie Sanders supporters. Right. I was just saying, like, women It's like a general women. thing. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, like, this specific moment. Right. Um, I don't think she meant that it was like, oh, fuck you if you're not voting for Hillary. Yeah. It's like, no, just, like, in general, like, be behind each other. Yeah, like, support women. And she said, you know, wrong place, wrong time. And even if she was thinking, fuck everybody else, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like, who cares? Let her think that. Um, of course, President... Obama would end up nominating Hillary Clinton to Madeleine Albright's previous position. She began to work also with the Obama administration. And at one point, somebody said to her, how long will you blame all of your problems on the previous administration? And she said, forever. <laughs> <laughs> so... In 2012, President Obama awarded her the Medal of Freedom, and she, of course, ended up describing former President Trump as the most anti-democratic leader the nation has ever seen. In terms of controversies, she said things in the political sphere that sometimes have gotten her in trouble because she does speak openly about war mm -hmm. she did an interview where this is pre 9-11 they were like bombing iraq and there were millions of children dying and the interviewer said we've heard that at this 60 minutes i think 
we've heard that half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died in Hiroshima. And, you know, is it worth the price? And she said, we think it's worth the price. (laughs) Which is really bad. And she was like, yes, I know. I got those interviews are so much longer than 60 minutes. They like pare them down. It's like. She was saying in, like, the common good is so hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. Like, because either way, with war, if you do something, people die. If you don't do something, people die. So she was making a general statement about it. But the segment won an Emmy, so, (laughs) for 60 minutes. But there was also an art ownership lawsuit because her dad had had that condo in Czechoslovakia that the Germans were kicked out of and those German people like sued for some of their art back or something later Hmm. on in her life which was kind of weird but really as she grew older her sense of humor grew and she said it's something she loves about herself she wishes that her too serious childhood self would have had a better sense of humor because she's proud of it she got into a famous twitter war with conan o'brien for fun (laughs) and then like we said at the top she appeared on both parks and rec and gilmore girls as herself in the same role giving young ambitious women a boost that they needed in a moment when they didn't know if they could make it both segments are leslie nope and rory gilmore questioning their legitimacy in the field of which they work And she just is there on the television being herself saying, you got this. Madeline went on to be a frequent columnist on foreign affairs and wrote a number of books between 2006 and 2020. Most of them about herself. (laughs) They are called Madam Secretary, The Mighty and Almighty, Memo to the President-Elect, Read My Pins, Prague Winter, and Fascism, A Warning. She said, all your life. I was told not to talk about me, but these books, it's time to talk about it. Madeline is currently 83 years old and living in Virginia in the United States. And that is her story. I love it. So far. (laughs) Wow. There's just like, again, like so much that I just like didn't know about her. Like I, yeah, yeah, that was super interesting. (laughs) You expect it to be uh, like, I almost expected it to be like the Hillary Clinton story. Right. You grow up, you're in a rich family. You go to the fancy college, you go to the fancy school. You marry the politician, you be the politician. Yeah. Wife. You like, and that just so was not her. Yeah. Like I totally thought it was going to be like the track that like someone like Julia Child was supposed to go on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Of yeah. like, you did all the things. But, like, she didn't do all the things because, like, that wasn't her life at all. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, that was wild. Okay. <laughs> so there she is. That's Madeline. We just, right. That's a banger, guys. We a just covered a banger. banger. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go get some more cocktails because we're empty because yep. these were delicious. <laughs> You're welcome, Miss Krista. <laughs> we'll be right back. Good night.
You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.